We wrapped up our series uh, on, uh, on Hebrews last week, and now we're starting a new series called Monsters, Inc. Just kidding. You're looking at the doors here. Maybe, maybe that prompted a little memory for you. And you saw that cartoon. Some people go, Monsters, Inc., what's that? Ah, never mind. You don't have to worry about that. But doors, doors are symbols. Uh, well, you know, a lot of doors are, are just exit only. Some doors are just meant for entrances. We lock doors at night because we want, to have, we want security. Some places, doors are always open because we want, we want people to come in freely, to, to come and go. And really, through every door is an opportunity. There's, op- there's people behind doors. Jesus described himself as the door. He, the, the door to the Father. Father has a great love for people, and Jesus came specifically to announce the door was open. And he described it in, in, in a way that's uh, counter-cultural uh, for us. He described it as a, as a narrow door, a narrow gate, uh, this, this entrance into, uh, into the kingdom, this abundant eternal life that is open to anyone who puts their faith in Christ. And, uh, and we, we are a people who are committed to announcing that the door is open, that the, the, the door is open for abundant life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus, after he made that announcement, after he modeled that life for his disciples, right before his ascension, he said these words found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You know, oftentimes it's referred to as the Great Commission, this commissioning of, of his followers. Uh, Luke, uh, the, the, one of the gospel writers, captures Jesus' words this way. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That that great commission, that commandment to be a going people has three dimensions to it. There's an ends of the earth dimension to it. There's a regional dimension to it. Judea and Samaria were, were in the region of Jerusalem. And of course in Jerusalem, there's a a local uh, dimension to it. And as a church, we are a people who are committed to all three dimensions of that Great Commission. We are a people who are committed to living out the life of Christ in, in, in Salem and Kaiser, our Jerusalem. Which, by the way, is why we have ministries like, like Roars, the Royal Order of Red Suspenders. These are people who cut wood and deliver it to families in Salem and Kaiser so they can heat their home in the winter because they don't have the resources to do that. This is why we have a ministry that, uh, called Angels Ministry where, where lunches are prepared and delivered to the homeless every week. This is why we do Life Center, why we teach English as a second language, uh, English language learning over at Broadway Commons every week to, to people who are, are foreigners and aliens, as, as the scriptures put it, people who, who are marginalized in our community because they don't, they don't have a, a, a good grasp on the English language. It's why we do that. It's why we'd partner with 73 other churches in our community to provide free health care through the Salem Free Clinics, Uh, mental health care, dental care, uh, medical care. It's why we do women's and men's ministries. We want people to be discipled and grown up and invited in. We, We want to live out the Great Commission locally. We are committed to that. We take full responsibility for it. And we also do it, uh, not just locally, we, we do it uh, in, in the ends of the earth. Um, you know, we'll just, just throw a map up here uh, on, the, on the screen, map of the world. There are people from Salem Alliance 
who are full-time workers in, in nations, in countries around the world. And we'll just throw some doors up on the map here to give you a sense for where that's happening. Um, now, now, we're not including short-term workers here because, uh, well, we have short-term workers in Africa right now. Uh, we've got some in some other countries as well. But if you look here, you'll see like in South America, we've got you know, Peru and Ecuador and Uruguay and, and we've got Middle East countries, we've got Central Asian countries, we've got Southeast Asia. There are people from Salem Alliance. They call this place home and they have gone and they've owned this great commission. They've taken responsibility and we're supporting them as they go. We own this as a church family uh, to the ends of the earth. And in the middle as well, we, uh, we own it regionally. You may not know it, but we're, we're part of a, a movement called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And we're associated with a region uh, that is made up of over 100 churches that are connected to our movement. And our region consists of Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and Northern Idaho. And there are over 100, in fact, throw Salem up on the map there, there's our door, uh, and then you throw the rest of the, the doors up there, and that's where churches that are connected with our movement are all around the region. Uh, and so we, we own the Great Commission. We, we invest financially in church planting in our region. We, in, we invest in, in, uh, uh, financially in, in, in the operation of this, of this region, and we're committed to that. And, uh, and again, we have the local expression as well, uh, right here in Salem and Kaiser. Now imagine this. Imagine you go in Salem, and you knock on 100 doors. And as the door is open, you ask the person who's opening the door uh, if they were a follower of Christ, if, if, they, if they have put their faith in Christ. Imagine you were to do that in Salem, just in your, in your, silently in your own mind. How many, th- how many doors do you think would be opened by people who would say, I- I'm walking in the way of Jesus? Well, the census from 2011 tells us that 38 out of 100 doors would be opened by people who say that they are a follower of Christ. That, that's the reality in, in our own city. Go to the state of Oregon. Uh, the, the census in 2011 said that Oregon was the seventh least, uh, least reached or Christian state in the, in the union. Um, uh, Mississippi was number one. It was number one reached, like the most Christians live in Mississippi. In Mississippi, if you knocked on 100 doors, 85 doors would be opened by people who say they walk in the way of Jesus. In Oregon, it's 32 32 doors would be opened by people who, who say they were walking in the, in the way of Christ. And then zoom out from there, from Oregon, and let's go to places where people from our church are currently serving. In Mongolia, in 1989, missiologists went through Mongolia, and in 1989, they, as they searched the country, they found four people in the entire country who, who proclaimed that they were Christ followers. Four people. In 2008, there were 40,000 people in Mongolia who described themselves as Christ followers. The number today is 60,000. Jeremy and Krista Fields from this church, grew up here at Salem Alliance, are in Mongolia today, serving there, meeting, meeting many needs there. And if we commissioned them to go knock on 100 doors in Mongolia, what they would discover is that two would be opened by people who are Christ followers. Go south to China, knock on 100 doors, you'd find that 12 out of 100 in China would be opened by Christ followers. You know, zip over to Uruguay, where Rodney and Saleh Johnson are from our church, serving there in Uruguay. Uh, they, and ask them to knock on 100 doors, they'd, they'd find 11 doors would be opened by, uh, by Christ followers. Um, next year, 
uh, our, our denomination, our movement, uh, as well as someone from our own church, is hoping to go to India. And uh, in India, if you were to knock on 100 doors, you would discover that four doors would be opened by people who are Christ followers. And, and then uh, you would also know that, um, that we have a partnership in the Middle East uh, in, in, in countries like Jordan and Kurdistan, Iraq, which, where Kurdistan is located. Uh, if you knocked on 100 doors in Iraq, three doors would be opened by Christ followers. If you did the same in Jordan, you'd get the same result, three people. Uh, in, 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 uh, in Jordan would be uh, claimed that they were Christ's followers. Uh, so that, that's sort of a, a bit of a picture of what's happening around the world. And we are a people who are committed to a local expression of that great commission. We are a people who are committed regionally and to the ends of the earth. Years ago, um, when my parents were still living in China, I, my parents... Uh, we're working in, in the city of Hong Kong. I grew up there. I was born there. Um, I took my kids, uh, my wife and I took our kids to Hong Kong several times uh, to take vacations there because it was free, uh, free housing, number one. Um, and we loved to see my parents, too. And one time we were there in, in Hong Kong, my daughter Bethany, who was seven years old at the time, we were walking the streets of Hong Kong. We came to this intersection and in this intersection, as we crossed it, I saw on the corner there that there was a, a, an elderly woman, uh, an elderly woman who was blind. She had a little metal cup she had placed out, and she was completely dependent on the generosity of people who were passing by, completely dependent on gifts of finances being put into her cup. Now, I, I knew, uh, I recognized this as woman because she is in that same corner ever since I was a kid. And she, was, she had obviously was, was, was getting older, and uh, she was pretty frail. And I, I knew that we were going to cross her path, so I already had my hand in my pocket. And I was already putting money into the hand of my seven-year-old daughter to put in that cup. And as we walked across the street, I told Beth to, to go put that money in that blind woman's cup. And as she did, she got down on her knees and went over and put that money in, in, in the cup. And when she turned around, she had just tears just streaming down her face. She was all twisted up inside. She had compassion just churning within her. She was so moved by the plight of this elderly blind woman who was begging on the side of the street. Beth and I kept walking, my, my hand holding hers, and she stopped me and she said, Dad, Dad that, that lady there, she needs more than her money. She needs to hear about Jesus and, and she, needs her, she needs her sight, uh, she needs her eyes healed. You need to go back and pray that her eyes are healed. No pressure. Uh, <laughs> and I'm listening to my daughter. Okay, Beth. And so we went back and, and, and we did pray. Um, and, uh, and as we continued to walk the streets of Hong Kong, Beth kept asking questions about this blind woman, kept asking about how long she was there. And I was telling her stories of when I was a kid. And she was just completely twisted up. And she would, you could tell it was just that, that picture was in her mind of this woman in a desperate circumstances. And the, the cheeks were just stained by those tears. Now, now if you can imagine... The face of a seven-year-old girl who's overcome with compassion for someone in great need, completely dependent on the generosity of others. If you can picture that, that face of a seven-year-old girl just churning with compassion, that is a picture of the face of God towards people. We sometimes have some very distorted pictures of who God is. 
But God, when he sees people in desperate situations, when he sees people who have not, not had the opportunity to walk through a door of opportunity and receive wholeness, when he, he sees people who are living fractured, broken lives that have not been made whole, he gets all twisted up and churned up inside. And his heart goes out to them. In fact, the gospel writers say this quite often. They describe Jesus when he sees a blind man or a lame uh, man or someone with leprosy. The the gospel writers often said, Jesus, filled with compassion, went over and touched. Jesus, filled with compassion, asked a question. God gets all twisted up inside When he sees people in desperate situations, he is so full of compassion. And that is not just a a New Testament concept. This is the storyline of the scriptures. And what I want to do today is I just want to, in the brief time we have left, I just want to lay a foundation for us of the storyline of the massive soft heart of God towards all peoples. Not just towards a certain people not just towards a certain nation, not just toward a certain strata or slice of a social economic uh, section of, of a society. It's for all people, and he gets all churned up inside when he sees them. This is who God is, and I just want to lay this foundation so that, so that we can understand the heart of God, and perhaps more importantly, so that we can align our heart with his And that storyline begins in not not so a surprising book, the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 contains the story of God calling Abraham to leave his home, leave his family, and go to uh, a land he's never been to. Do you know what comes before Genesis uh, Genesis chapter 12? Yeah, Genesis chapter 11. We got that. Now, duh. Come on, Fowler. Well, actually, right before Genesis chapter 12 is the story of the Tower of Babel. The people rebelling against God and God comes in, he confuses them. They all speak different languages suddenly and they're dispersed to the ends of the earth. The very next chapter, you've got this promise made to Abraham and here's the words that God spoke to to Abram who would become Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, I got two blessings for you. Number one, I'm gonna make you famous. I'm gonna make you a blessing. I'm gonna pour out my favor on you, but my favor being poured out on you is not intended to sort of end in this dead-end cul-de-sac of of your own personal blessing and pleasure. No, it's gonna move through you, Abraham. You're gonna experience tremendous blessing, but it's gonna move through you, Abraham, and it's gonna go to the nations because I want every family on this planet blessed. I want my favor to be experienced by as many people as possible, Abraham, and it starts with you. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. And it's one of the the places we see this beginning heart of God, this, this large heart of God directed towards people. And by the way, when you get to the book of Exodus... And the story of Moses on the mountain and the people worshiping the golden calf down there, uh, this idolatrous thing that they're doing, and God is disgusted, and Moses is up there, and God says to Moses, Moses, I'm gonna wipe out the people because they're sinning against me, but you, Moses, I'm gonna make your name great. And what's Moses say? Moses knows Genesis chapter 12. God, I don't want you just to make my name great. If you wipe out these people, What are the people of Egypt going to think about you? 
I want the people of Egypt to know who you are in your heart, God. So Moses refused to let that blessing just rest on him because he knows the Abrahamic covenant. You get to the Psalms, and in the Psalms, there are over 110 times where God's heart for the nations, for all the families on the earth, is revealed in the Psalms. Psalm chapter 47 is a psalm that's inspired some music uh, that's it's, it's formed hymns and, uh, and choruses. It begins by, clap your hands, all your people. Shout to God with joyful praise, for the Lord Most High is awesome. The end of that psalm says this. God reigns above the nations, sitting on his holy throne. The rulers of the world have gathered together with the people of the God of Abraham. For all the kings of the earth belong to God. He is highly honored everywhere. Why should you worship? Because the good news is going to the ends of the earth. It isn't just for Abraham. And this news should give birth to spontaneous worship. And then you get to this chapter in the storyline, you meet a guy named Jonah. Remember Jonah? Jonah's a prophet. Do you know the job description of a prophet? Hear God's message to you and deliver it to the people. Jonah hears the message, doesn't like it, and books it to a place called Tarshish, which would have been the ends of the earth in his day. He does not want to deliver this message because this message is to go to a place called Nineveh, which, by the way, is in northern Iraq, which, by the way, one of the roses that we celebrated this morning was, uh, was from a, a woman in Kurdistan, which is not far from Nineveh. That's where God was sending Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go there. But through a unique set of circumstances, a U-turn via a whale, he goes back and now he's convinced, and he preaches in Nineveh that if you don't repent, this wicked city, if you don't repent, God's going to wipe you out. Uh, let me just read part of the end of the book of Jonah because uh, it's, I think we can relate to this. Jonah preaches. The people listen to Jonah, and they repent. And then it says, when God saw what they had done by repenting and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. And did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. And I don't like it, God. I came out here to preach to see these people wiped out. And God, I knew that I knew, God, that you have a soft, tender heart, that your cheeks are stained with tears for people because you love people of all nations. I knew it. And that's why I didn't want to come here in the first place, God. It's quite a prophet. And then he says this: just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I had predicted will not happen. Seems Jonah's a little concerned about his reputation. So then what happens in the story is that Jonah, he's pretty hacked at God. He climbs a mountain because he's going to watch and see if God is going to do what, what, what he said he was going to do or if he is going to change his mind. I almost picture it like, you know, um, you know when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I, I think that, that Jonah was, was, he wanted a front row seat to this. He, he wanted to see if 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 God was going to wipe out the city. And as he's waiting, as, as we read in the book of Jonah, this vine grows out of the, the ground, 
And it's a large vine. Now, this is the Middle East. It's sunny and it's hot. This vine grows. Big leaves provide shade for Jonah. Jonah falls in love with the plant. This is a great plant. I love my plant. It's cool under the plant. He loves his plant, but he's going to see if this city is going to get torched or not. But the plant is awesome. He goes to bed the night, wakes up the next morning, and some kind of insect or worm or something gets into the plant and kills it. Jonah's angry. He's very angry that his plant has died. But he's going to watch and see if God's going to torch Nineveh. And then the book of Jonah ends in a very sudden way. This is how the book ends. Nineveh, this is God talking to Jonah. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Jonah, you feel sorry for your plant. You're upset because a plant died. Shouldn't I be all twisted up inside? Shouldn't I be filled with compassion for 120,000 people living in the city? Are you feeling the beating heart of a God who's compassionate, who does not want anyone to perish? He's blessing Abraham so the nations can be blessed. The Psalms are full of worship. He's sending out prophets to proclaim his love for all the nations. This is not just a, a New Testament concept or idea. And it will happen all through the Messiah who will come through the, the genealogy of Abraham. The Messiah from whom in, uh, in, in the book of Isaiah we, we get the job description. Um, uh, the, the job description is found in, in Isaiah chapter uh, uh, 56 where it talks about uh, Jesus, this Messiah, who is a light to the nations. He will be a light to the nations. In fact, this is what Simeon prays over Jesus at his baby dedication. You will be a light to the nations. You will gather the nations and restore, not just restore Israel, but you will gather the nations together. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Through the incarnation, the mystery of the incarnation, he is born, and Jesus goes, and what does he go declaring? He goes declaring that the door is open, that there is new life in Christ, that fractured, broken lives can be made whole. And he announces this, and he's so compassionate. He touches anyone that wants to be touched. He heals, he preaches, and there is a huge following. People love to be around Jesus. And Jesus got very angry when people shut the door or made it difficult for people to walk through the door. Remember the story of the cleansing of the temple? Jesus appears to have like his temper tantrum and knocking over tables and setting animals and getting them out of the temple and... In Matthew, the writer uh, gospel, uh, Matthew, the writer of the gospel, there says the scriptures declare as Jesus is, is cleaning out the temple, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. See, a lot of people come to the, the wrong conclusion on why Jesus cleansed the temple. They think he cleansed the temple because they, they were selling things there and you shouldn't sell things in the temple. That's not why Jesus got upset. Some people also come to the inaccurate conclusion that the temple, the reason Jesus was so mad was because the temple should be a house of prayer and they were keeping prayer from, from happening. And there's some truth to that and that indeed was the case, but that's not really the root reason why Jesus cleansed the temple. The root reason for Jesus cleansing the temple 
was because that outer court where that marketplace was set up was the one place where if you came from the nations and you were disillusioned with your pagan God and you wanted to come and worship the beauty of Jehovah and you walked into the temple as a Gentile, that was the only court that you could worship. And when you set up a marketplace there, you kept people from encountering the tender, compassionate heart of God. And that's why Jesus went crazy and knocked over temples. Because God has a heart for the nations, for all peoples, from every layer of society. It doesn't matter what color your skin, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter what country you live in, his heart is for you. And when people get in the way of that, God gets pretty stirred up. And he has a heart for the nations, and he has a heart for all people. It's the storyline from the beginning. And of course, we could go to Revelation and talk about the throne room being filled with people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. It's all there, folks. This is God's heart. He gets all twisted up and churned up inside when he sees the circumstances of people who are not in a friendship, a relationship with him. He wants to take fractured, broken lives and make them whole. Here's my question for us. If that is true, which it is, of God's heart, what do I do when God has a large, massive, soft, tender heart towards people, and yet when I look at my own heart, it's not very large, and it's not very soft towards people? What do I do when I hear Steve is talking about the Great Commission for a couple weeks, when really what I want to do is like, oh, maybe I'll take next week off. <laughs> Not that you would think that. What, what do I do when I don't really care what happens in Iraq? I'm just invested here. Or what do I do if I really care what happens in Jordan, but I'm not really interested in helping out here? How do we align our hearts with God? How do we grow our hearts so that that blessing God directs to us doesn't end up in a dead-end cul-de-sac but flows through us to our local city and community, to the region, and to the ends of the earth. I just want to give you three practical steps that you could take beginning today to help you align your heart with God's. And the first one is simply this. Just begin praying. And, and I'm, I'm think, right now I'm just talking about global, our global workers. If my heart is small, and I want to enlarge it for the nations as God has enlarged his, one of the things you can do is just begin praying. You know, if, if you were to walk out these doors, hang a little bit of a left, you'd find a table that has a brochure, has a list of all our international and U.S. workers, people from St. Alliance that are serving someplace. You know, if, if you've got a family, you know what you could do? Grab one of these brochures. You don't have to pray for everybody. Grab one name. And as a family, just, just start praying for someone like Joe and Kay Kong in Cambodia. Just as a family, just start praying and then communicate with them. Uh, you know, they get email, you can shoot them and ask for the newsletter and find specific ways to pray. And when they come back to Salem and they, and they take their home assignment here for a little bit, have them in your home. That'd be the second thing you can do. Start praying specifically for just one international worker. And then have them in, get to know them. We have coffee with them. Start building a friendship. And then, third thing you could do is give. The scriptures tell us that where your treasure, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. 
our hearts follow our money. The, the amount is something you'll determine between you and God. But as you give, what you'll find is your heart starts going in that direction. And, and, and by the way, when you give to missions here at Sam Lyons Church in, in the offering envelope, and our full-time workers with our movement, the, the, the Christian Missionary Alliance, when they get their support check at the beginning of the month, their check stub, right on their check stub, it says, this is how much money Sam Alliance gave to support you this month. They, every month, they know that we're behind them. And I just want to say thank you. So many of you are giving generously to our international workers all around the world, and they know that you're supporting them. Thank you for doing that. But maybe you're here today, and maybe it begins with a dollar. Maybe it begins with $10. You just want to start directing your heart to where God's heart is. Start praying for an international worker. Start getting to know them. And in some way, start giving. And you'll find your heart beginning to align with God's large, soft heart for the nations. Yesterday, um, uh, Salem Free Clinic's partner with North Bank Surgical Center downtown Salem. And um, I'm just thrilled about what's going on with the Salem Free Clinic. So again, this is a kingdom work. This isn't just Salem Lions Church. This is 70 plus churches coming together to provide free health care, uh, to provide mental health care, and partnering with Corbin University in doing that, and dental care. Um, and, and many of you are involved in that. Yesterday at North Bank Surgical Center, that, that um, surgical center uh, provided three, 30 free surgical procedures for the uninsured. Now, they, they, aren't, they aren't connected. We, we actually, we have people from State Alliance who work there, but the doctors and nurses provided 30, 30 free surgical procedures for people, as well as Medical Teams International pulled in a van there, and over 30 pa patients were seen for dental care. And... Um, uh, Trina and I had, had the blessing, of, along with others from Sam Alliance, of being down there and serving, and I was on the prayer team. And, um, you know, when someone comes to the clinic, uh, they're, they're offered a lot of information, and one of the things that they're offered is prayer. And that's where, like, we've celebrated today. Mary, it's last week at the clinic, gave her life to Christ. Well, that, that's how much of it happens. So we were offering prayer. A lot of people turned down prayer. Some people accepted. And I got in a conversation with a, with a, a guy in his mid-70s um, and asked him how to pray, and he just sort of started sharing uh, his story and showed me a picture on his phone of his 22-month-old grandson. Um, and I just, I just started asking him questions about his story and uh, about the relationship he had with his grandson. And it, it, it turned out that as this, this man started sharing his story, he... he was living in Salem, raised his family, and as his daughter got older, out of high school, um, she got caught up in the meth culture. And um, she, she disappeared for a while, met some guy from another state. Um, she got pregnant, and she, she had a baby, and this, this little baby was this man's grandson, now 22 months old. His daughter came back and then disappeared. Doesn't know where she's at. And this guy, I, I, I asked him, um, you know, you're in your mid-70s, you're still working, you're driving a transport van around town. What, 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 when's retirement happening for you? I don't know his full story yet. And he looks at me and he says, it's never happening because my daughter's disappeared. And I'm taking responsibility to raise this 22-month-old uh, grandson of mine. And, um, and I, I just was just trying to imagine what that must feel like as a dad, when your daughter 
goes in that direction. Some of you in this room know what that feels like. And I just said to him, I said, you know what? I can't even imagine what that does, the hurt your dad heart must feel. And he just took off his glasses, bent over, and started crying. And kept crying. And kept crying. I got up, went to go find some Kleenex, found some Kleenex for him, gave it to him. He kept crying. He started sobbing. He got up, he went to the restroom, spent some time in there, came back out, still wiping away tears. He sat down next to me, and I said, I'm I'm just so sorry. He said, you know what, Steve? I'm gonna raise that grandson. But one day, I hope that my daughter comes home and I'll be able to give him to her and, and she'll, be, she'll be ready to be a mother to my little grandson. I'm just waiting. That, friends, is the heart of God. That is the heart of God. Tears, the heart that's churning up with compassion, who has not given up on daughters, who has not given up on sons, who is willing to stay the course so that one day there can be a homecoming, someone can walk through a door, and a fractured, broken life can be made whole again. That is God's heart. And he has called us. He has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to Salem and Kaiser, the state of Oregon, Washington, Idaho. Got to go to Alaska. It's beautiful there. And to the ends of the earth, wherever he calls, may it be so.